The reading's taken from Luke chapter 5 in the Church Bibles. If you've got one, one of these, it's 1032. Luke chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 17 to 26. This is God's word. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him uh, on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Amen. Uh, let me begin by asking you a question. It'll be up on the screen. How do you know what is a want and what is a need? How do you know what is a want and what is a need? And if that seems too philosophical or too much heavy lifting on a Sunday morning, uh, here's a PowerPoint slide for you, which you'll hopefully be able to see. So which of these things are wants and which of these are needs? Introverts are going to kill me. You're going to have a minute. You can either talk to the person next to you, or if you hate talking to people, head down and just make a note or something. Make it very obvious that you are an introvert and you don't want to talk. How do you know what is a want and what is a need? On okay, the... I reckon that's a minute. Um, I reckon that's about a minute. There's lots of different things up on that screen, isn't there? And since we're all different ages, different stages, different backgrounds, we may have had a variety of opinions between what is a want and what is a need. So what, what I'd say is that a need is a necessity. A need is a necessity. You need it for life, whereas a want is a luxury. It's not required, but it's desired. So a want is a luxury, not required, but desired. A need is a necessity. You need it for life. You know, as we thought about the pictures on that screen, you might have looked at some of the different things and you might have thought, well, yeah, clues, definitely a need. There will be no naked Sundays in church or generally, that would be horrible. You need clues. But one of the pictures had, uh, it, was, it was a Nike hoodie. So you would say, well, you need clues, but you don't need it to be branded. You don't need it to be Nike, do you? Uh, you might have seen the, the holiday picture, the, the sun, the sand. Some of you might think, yes, that is absolutely a need. It, it has to be sun and sand. Well, the Bible says you, you need rest. That's something God's hardwired into us. We need rest. But you would say, it doesn't need to be the Bahamas. It doesn't have to be, you know, all, well, 
everything, basically. Uh, you might look at some of the different things. Teenagers might say, yes, you need a PlayStation because without it, you won't have any friends, etc." You can see how we can sort of, in our minds, we can justify what our uh, wants, wants can easily turn into needs. We do that, don't we? We see things and we think, yes, I need that, and we can justify it. Things turn from a want into a need. There are times where those lines just get a bit blurred, don't they? What's a want and what's a need? But then there's other times in our lives when uh, the fog or the blur is removed. So the previous years have done that, haven't they? The pandemic, it was very clear what a need was and what a want was. We needed to be together. It just didn't cut it to be on the screen, did it? It worked for a time, but actually God's people need to be together. Families need to be together. Um, cost of living crisis, people have cut down on things that they've realized, no, that's a luxury, that is not a need. This past week, as we've experienced loss as a church family, it, it leads us to ask the big questions, doesn't it? What's a want? What's a need? What really matters? What is most important to us? This is when we find ourselves asking the big questions of life. It's times like these we need an encounter with God. So, Deb's already previewed, but the next four weeks we'll be looking at encounters Jesus had with people in Luke's gospel. And in them we'll see how Jesus comes into contact with these real people with various problems, various questions, and had their lives transformed by him. So, let's begin. We're looking at Jesus' encounter with the paralyzed man. So, we'll walk through the story. There's not point one, point two, point three. We'll walk through the story and just stop and make comments as we go along. So, starting from verse 17, if you have a Bible, very helpful to have it in front of you. Uh, starting from verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching. We're going to stop, and I'm not going to start stop this frequently. You'll be relieved to hear. But look at the start, at the very start of his gospel in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. He tells us how he's gone around collecting eyewitness information. So what we're reading here is events that have been handed to Dr. Luke by eyewitnesses so that we may know with certainty that this really happened. Let's keep reading. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. What we find in Luke's Gospels and the Gospels as a whole is that everywhere Jesus goes, all sorts of people come to him. I say it often, don't I? But he's like a magnet. He draws in all types of people to himself. And that's what he's still doing to this day. If you look around, go on, look around. He's drawing all types of people to himself, all different types of people in this congregation following Jesus. And on this day, Jesus had drawn people from all over Israel to hear him teach. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they are the elite. They are you but it's also drawn plebs like me to himself. That's good news. People wanted to hear Jesus teach because he was, should I say, is unlike any teacher the world has ever seen. See, he had authority. His words, his teaching was weighty. It carried power. He had ability. He could do the things that he taught. He talked the talk and he walked the walk. He had convictions and capability. He enlightened people and enlivened people, which meant all sorts of people came to him, the faithful and the faithless, the cynic and the skeptical. And we find those last two, the cynic and the skeptical, in the Pharisees and teachers of the law, 
You see, they're not sure about Jesus. They've come to see, is Jesus the real deal? They want to know if he's actually up to no good. For, for the boys and girls, it might be helpful to think of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, like this character from Frozen who's coming up on the screen. Uh, the Duke of Weaseltown, or Whistleton. He's, he's always coming around and he's asking questions. He's like, mm, I'm not quite sure if you're up to good. Uh, that might be helpful just for the boys and girls to sort of hook on their minds. That's what the Pharisees and teachers of the law are doing. They're skeptical. They're not sure. They're asking questions. Can we trust Jesus? And yet, Jesus welcomes them. He, he wants the skeptical. He wants those who are suspicious, asking questions to come along. And we as a church believe that Jesus is the answer to all the questions that we have. So if you want your questions answered, come to Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now in Mark chapter 2, uh, we read that it's five friends, so four of them carrying one paralyzed friend. Now just close your eyes and imagine for a moment being paralyzed. Go on, close them. Imagine being paralyzed. You are totally dependent on other people. You're unable to do even the simplest of tasks without help. You spend your whole life feeling like a burden to others. This man, these men, really needed help. He had a great need. You can open your eyes now. These friends recognized that they really needed help, so they brought their friend to someone they believed could help. Often Jesus is known as a good man or a moral teacher, but if that's all Jesus is, friends, then there would be absolutely no point of bringing a physical need like this to him. It would be like taking a car to a dentist, taking a laptop to a car mechanic, asking a plumber to fix electrics, like asking a PE teacher to teach anything. Uh, no, <laughs> Alan's not even here for that joke. That's such a shame. So <laughs> you bring your problems, your needs to someone who can do something about them, don't you? These men believed that an encounter with Jesus would change their friend's life. I think we need to learn a lesson from these friends, don't we? To believe that an encounter with Jesus is what our community, what our friends, what our family, what our work colleagues, what our world needs the most is an encounter with Jesus. Bring the people with the problems to the one person who can deal with them, the Lord Jesus. Let's keep going, because as these friends seek to encounter Jesus, they encounter a problem. They couldn't get to him. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. Now, uh, commentators, Bible experts say you could fit around 50 people in a home like this. So whenever we picture Jesus teaching in this wee house, uh, we're to imagine that is jam-packed, like uh, sardines in a tin, like a... Uh, the way they squish people into trains in China. Here we are. You can just about see it there. Making sure everyone can fit in. So the absolute opposite of social distancing is happening in this house. It is jam-packed. Everyone has come to see Jesus and to hear him teach, which means there is no way of getting the paralyzed man to Jesus. So what do these friends do? What do these pals do? Do they just give up? No problems require perseverance. You all know that. Problems require perseverance. They went up onto the roof, reading from verse 19, and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. <laughs> Again, we learn from these men, don't we? 
would we do whatever it takes to get our friends to encounter Jesus, no matter the cost? You know, let's be honest, sometimes whenever an obstacle is thrown up in taking someone to Jesus or speaking about our faith, we think, oh, thank goodness. Uh, well, at least I tried. We need to learn from these men, don't we? No matter the cost, no matter what it takes, let's get people to encounter Jesus because he is their greatest need. When the need is great, there is no cost too great. And this need negates any niceness, doesn't it? You know this, if you're in a rush to get somewhere, to get a plane or a train, you are running. You're probably bumping into people, coming through. I need to get to my destination. (laughs) And these friends forget any niceness in getting their, their pal to Jesus. It's a bit reckless. I don't know if you ever read the story and think, they're opening a hole in the roof to make room. So they climb up to the flat roof of the house and they create a space in the tiles. Just imagine being there, the light breaking in to the dark room. It it would be like opening the shutters of this school and just the light flooding in. So the paralyzed man's pain, his problem, his affliction, his troubles have brought him to Jesus's feet. Isn't that so often what awful awful experiences do? They bring us to the Lord's feet. As the man's lowered in front of Jesus, you can imagine the hush, can't you? Shh, quiet. How will this great teacher, the Lord Jesus, respond to this paralyzed man in front of him? Will he tell him, uh, wait a moment, I've got some teaching to do. Don't interrupt my sermon. Will he be able to deal with this great need or will he finally be proven a fraud? What happens next? Read read with me, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, (laughs) Jesus sees these men and their reckless vandalism, and notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, lads, I don't think Jesus would say, lads, lads, what are you doing? You've wrecked their roof. No, he recognizes that these men had a simple faith that led to action. We have a great need and a great problem, so let's get our friend to Jesus. Jesus doesn't send them away. He doesn't say, wait until later. (laughs) Vandals and cripples are welcome in the church of Jesus. That's what we want our church to be like, isn't it? All welcome, not just one particular type. So how does Jesus respond to these hooligans and this cripple? Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friend, your sins are forgiven. I was reminded uh, two weeks ago at Sports Plus by Tom and Rach Hawkin that I have quite an expressive face. (laughs) Um, So I was talking to someone and it was fairly obvious that either I didn't agree with what they were saying or I just wasn't in a very good mood because my face was this. And that's often my resting face. I can only imagine my resting face, well, not my resting face, my response to Jesus. If I was paralyzed and he said this to me, your sins are forgiven. What? Sins are forgiven? If I was one of the friends on the roof, I'd be like, cheers, Jesus. Actually, we're here for the legs, not the sins. Why has Jesus responded like this when the need is so obvious and so great? Jesus is like, well, not like, Jesus is the great doctor. He looks at the paralyzed man's visible symptoms, those things that appear so pressing and sees a far more serious problem beneath the surface. 
sin. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying this man is paralyzed because he has sinned, but rather because of sin, we live in a world where sadness and sickness are our everyday experience. So Jesus has come to deal with the cause, not the symptoms. Yeah, even as we've gone down this line of thinking, you've probably thought, surely the physical need, the sadness, the sickness is more pressing than the spiritual need of forgiveness of sins. In this man's life, in your life, in our community, in our world, surely there are more pressing things to be speaking about on a Sunday morning than the forgiveness of sins. Imagine with me taking your car into the garage because there was a fault light on the dashboard and it was dinging and you just wanted to stop because it's annoying you. And the mechanic looks at the car and says, there's a much bigger problem with your car. There's a fault with the engine and you are in the gravest of danger. It's ridiculous to say, but imagine that moment saying, can you just fix the, the dinging, the noise and the light? That's what I've come here for. That's, that's what I need fixing. D- don't worry about the engine. Sort the light. Who cares about the grave danger? The, the, the things in our lives, the aches, the pains, the hurts, they're like lights on a dashboard warning us of a far more serious problem, a far more catastrophic problem under the car bonnet of our lives. Sin. Jesus says, without a right relationship, a restored relationship with God, your maker, you could have every earthly need met and you would be in the gravest of circumstances. If you have not encountered Jesus this morning, have not had your sins forgiven, you are not his friend. Jesus sees this paralyzed man in this situation, sees us when we're lost in this situation and he moves towards him. He draws near. He's so willing, isn't he? He's so able. The paralyzed man hasn't even said a word, and he's coming to him saying, you can be forgiven, my friend. Let's be clear here. Jesus is declaring his hand. He is God himself with a statement like this. He is the divine creator, the divine mechanic, who sees the greatest need and says, I can deal with that which is exactly what the Pharisees and teachers of the law are thinking, isn't it? Verse 21, the Pharisees and teachers of the law begin saying, thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Notice with me, it's obvious I know, but the Pharisees are thinking these things. They begin, who is this fellow? Friends, that is the question you all must answer in your life. Who is this fellow Jesus? Who's this fellow who makes such bold claims on our lives 2,000 years later? Who is this man who claims to know what our greatest need is? Who sees you all the way to the bottom and loves you to the skies? Who is this Jesus? Back to the Pharisees. They're heresy hunting. They're, They're skeptical and they're suspicious about Jesus and their worst fears are realized. This carpenter's son with no formal religious education is making a bold claim. He has the ability to forgive sins. And let's be clear, the Pharisees are absolutely right. God alone can forgive sins because God is the offended party when we do things wrong. That that word sin gives the image of missing a mark. 
not reaching a standard. Only God can forgive sins, for he is the offended party. I have uh, two brothers, Niall and Scott. I think they come up on the screen. Scott, the youngest one, he's huge. Uh, on the left there, Niall, oldest, tall and skinny. Me, short and stocky. Uh, so there they are. Can you imagine Niall and Scott? So Niall punches Scott in the nose, and I, I say, hey, 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 Niall, I forgive you. I forgive you for punching Scott in the nose. Scott uh, isn't short on words. He would be saying, well, actually, Dave, I'm the offended party. I'll say it without the nose. But he's, his nose is bleeding. He's saying, I am the offended party here. I'm the one who needs to give the forgiveness because the crime has been against me. Friends, when we miss that mark, when we sin, it is God who is offended. We don't have to forgive ourselves. We need his forgiveness. Let me read verse 22 again. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? <laughs> Think about the Pharisees here. They are the ones who say the right things, do the right things, show up on time. And he sees right into their heart and sees beneath the surface of all their religious endeavors and sees into it and says, why are you thinking these things? Just that, oh, oh horrifying thought to think. He knows the deepest, darkest corners and crevices of our hearts and minds. He knows what nobody else knows. He sees what no one else sees. And it's encouraging, isn't it? In this moment, when he reads their hearts, he doesn't say, get lost. He doesn't turn them to dust. He asks them a question. Jesus's method, isn't it? Verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What's going on here? Jesus recognizes that it's very easy to say that your sins are forgiven. You can say it now to someone. There's no visible evidence that it has happened, that sins have been forgiven. Whereas if someone was here this morning paralyzed and you said to them, get up and walk, there would be clear, visible evidence that a miracle has happened. So Jesus does in this moment what appears to be harder. He tells the paralyzed man to get up and walk to prove that he is God in the flesh. Jesus is so kind, doesn't he? Look at verse 24. But I want you to know, but I want you to know in Cardiff in 2023 that sins can be forgiven because of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't say just believe. He gives them a visible sign that the world's greatest need can be dealt with by healing this paralyzed man. So he says, doesn't he, the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Remember what we said about Jesus at the start? His words, authority and ability. There's no delay here. I know someone who spends most of their time trying to encourage people to get up and walk. They do a lot of bribery, a lot of urging to get them. Jesus says, get up and walk, and it happens instantly. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Just imagine being there, friends. Imagine the scene. Everyone packed in, sardines in a tin, like a train jam-packed with people. This paralyzed man squeezing through, excuse me, coming through, 
Oh, praise the Lord, I can walk and my sins are forgiven. Incredible. And notice, I know it's obvious, the formerly paralyzed man's obedience, his faith led to action. He responded to what Jesus said, which means works display our faith in Jesus. Often we can get a bit tangled up with this, can't we? But it's a helpful reminder that if you believe in Jesus, it will lead to you acting for Jesus. By reminder, we're saved by what Jesus did on the cross. But we display that faith in the cross by living for him. If you imagine a candle that's been lit, from that we light, there is both warmth and light. Both are produced by the candle. You can't separate one from the other. Jesus is the source of our faith and our works, of the warmth and the light. Perhaps that's helpful for someone this morning. Well, let's see, as we draw to a close, let's see what the crowd thinks about all this. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. (laughs) It's interesting to consider, isn't it? What were they praising God for? What did they view as the remarkable thing? Was it paralyzed man able to walk? Or was it the incredible news that sins can be forgiven? (laughs) Let's be honest. I hope we're always honest. Let's be honest. But if at church this morning, there is a paralyzed person sitting here and they left here walking and someone else came here with their sins not forgiven and left saying, I am forgiven, I think a lot of us, well, perhaps just me, would be much more hyped, much more excited, much more wanting to praise God about the paralytic walking than sins being forgiven. For if you've grown up in a church, it's not stunning, is it? It's so ordinary, sins being forgiven. You know it. You know that's your greatest need. It's not seen as remarkable any anymore, is it? Why should we still view this as remarkable? For the Lord Jesus, of course, did something remarkable in making a paralyzed man walk. But he did the unthinkable to mean that sins could be forgiven. A visible sign that you can be certain that sins can be forgiven. The son of heaven treated like a child of hell. The Lord of blessing and honor made a curse for us. The eternal one made man. Jesus treated like an enemy so he can call you friend. What difference does this make as hearts ache, as bodies break? At the beginning, we thought, didn't we, about how wants are luxuries and needs are necessities. Friends, we need our sins forgiven to live the Christian life. And graciously this morning, the Lord of all glory offers that to you. And since he has dealt with that great need at infinite cost to himself, that will help you trust him for all the wants that you have. To use Paul's language of Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up graciously for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Friends, if he has dealt with the greatest need of your life, the thing that you need the most, how can we not trust him in all the ups and downs of life? He cares so much so deeply for you this morning that he did not spare the Lord Jesus for you. It's hard in this life, 
living that out, Lord, we pray that you make it real to our hearts. But if he did not spare Jesus, he will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Let me pray.